Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Election Day is November 6th, so before we start the show, we just want to encourage you, if you have not done so already, to register to vote! It is your civic duty, and there are deadlines for voting registrations, and they do vary state by state. So go to USA.gov right now, look up your state, figure out when your deadline is, and register. And then don't forget to get your butt to the polls on November 6th. You can also sign up to get an absentee ballot if you can't make it that day. So mm-hmm. whatever you yep. got to do, it's easy if you know how to get that information. So USA.gov, do it. Treat your country. Treat it. You are listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accent. Oh, yeah. And we are chugging this week because we're recording a drunk dive right after this. And if you don't know what that is, you should be a Patreon so you have access to all of our Patreon-only content, including short episodes where we get super drunk and talk about something weird. Yeah. That's basically, that's an excellent explanation of a drunk dive. And uh, it's actually a better explanation than I think we've ever given. Yeah. (laughs) That was (laughs) concise and precise. Off the cuff. Um, (sighs) And it's going to be my drunk dive this, this month. Oh God. I'm excited. (laughs) Um, But first our episode, this you are, I'm Kenyon. (laughs) I'm Lucy. I'm Amanda. And our episode this week is a very special fan pick brought to you by... Aren't they all? They are. (laughs) They're all special. (laughs) They literally are all described as very special fan picks. I like it. I think it's cute that she says that. (laughs) Little snowflake. It's a unique, beautiful, special... Episode. I think it's special that fans <laughs> donate enough to choose an episode and then we spend hours researching that episode topic and I think it's special. It is special. It is special. And you know what else is special? You. And, You're special, honey. And you know honey. what? You're both special. And special to me. You're goddamn right we're special. We're all, <laughs> we've all pre-gamed a little bit. And also as we we're recording this, it's like in the midst of the... Dr. Blazy Ford Kavanaugh hearing. So we're all a little emotional. We're really tired. <laughs> it's been a long so Backbreaking <laughs> emotional labor. So we're just going to lift <laughs> each other up. And we're uh-huh. also going to lift up our very special fan picker, Sarah Muscovitz. Yes. Woo! And lift up our very full goblets of wine. Yes. Um, <laughs> We're all drinking. I to took Dr. a photo of how big the wine glass is that I selected today to yeah. use. It's a goblet. She's it's not huge. fucking around. <laughs> and so the fan pick topic this week is coerced confessions. Ugh, this was rough. Ooh. It was a little bit dark, but. A lot of Brendan Dassey level yeah. debauchery in the police system happening here. It's true. So to prepare ourselves 
What is our wine crime pairing for coerced confessions? Yes, our pairing this week is Innocentio Pinot Noir <laughs> of Toretti Family Vineyards in California. Oh my God. <laughs> mm-hmm. This wine was sent to us by the lovely Jason Scrimgauer or Scrimger. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. And we thought it would make a great pairing with this episode as we're going to be talking about some folks who should not have been put behind bars Mm -hmm. for confessions that are not reality. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not a Wink Wine, but we should quickly shout out our amazing sponsor, Wink Wine Club, which is an online wine club that allows you access to incredible, small batch, beautiful varieties of wine from around the world Mm -hmm. and it's sent to your door or your place of business or another convenient location where you can sign for it and be over 21 and pick it up Mm -hmm. it's seriously the best um if you're new to the show and you haven't heard of wink before please check it out you can go to trywink.com forward slash gals that's t-r-y-w-i-n-c.com forward slash g-a-l-s and that'll get you twenty dollars off your first box you can load up your cart with really as many bottles of wine as you want but as long as you put four or more in your cart they take care of the shipping which is amazing and if you're new to wine you can also take a little flavor quiz they'll kind of narrow down what things work with your palate and make some suggestions which is awesome and if you want to drink along with us you can take a peek at our website and get some upcoming pairings so you can make uh some selections that'll allow you to drink the wine that we're drinking which is really kind yeah. of fun. Mm-hmm. so yeah try it try it out trywink.com forward slash gals treat wine <laughs> um, treat inner sommelier treat liver <laughs> distinct palate yeah. This Pinot Noir, it's all the desired notes of the varietal, which I'm excited about because I really do like a good, juicy Pinot Noir. Mm -hmm. Um, Caveat. It comes from a family vineyard in Santa Maria Valley, California, which is located in Santa Barbara County. And we have talked about Santa Barbara County before, but I wanted to give a little more detail on what makes Santa Barbara so special, and that's its climate. Overall, Santa Barbara County has a coastal climate with a long growing season, which allows the grapes to extend hang time, which like, hi, I'd love <laughs> to extend my hang Why time. Why we started the podcast was to extend 100% our hang to extend time. our hang time. We need to relocate Aww. to Santa Barbara County. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say that's our next step. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but this extended hang time helps to develop mature flavors and a much valued balance of sugars and acids. This is something of a luxury at such low altitudes and allows the country's, sorry, the county's winemakers to make relatively balanced wines that are unaffected by the high alcohol content associated with warmer climates. Mm. Because in those warmer climates, the grapes tend to like over ripen and then that increases the sugar production and the more sugar the more alcohol know what i'm saying uh-huh, uh-huh. so i get yeah. it uh the cool climate there results in higher acidity which balances the mature flavors of the grapes and increases their aging potential the more acidic the wine the longer it can kind of sit in the barrel and age or even age in the bottle and mellow out without just like not having any effect. Oh, so I cool. should order more Pinot Noirs in my wink boxes because... Yeah, there are a lot of Pinot Noirs that are good for aging, good. which is nice. Cabs are also pretty good for aging. It's like when you get used to a certain, especially red wine varietal, you might not notice 
the level of acidity in those wines, but they are pretty acidic. Mm, okay. So they age really well. Um, the region's low rainfall also reduces the risk of fruit spoiling. So it allows it to like ripen fully without rotting on the vine, which is great. Um, and this is mm. especially great news for Pinot Noirs, which when cultivated correctly, it can have a complex multitude of flavors. But when it's not done well, it can be pretty light and kind of flavorless. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a bad Pinot Noir is, is pretty boring, but a good Pinot Noir is like mind-blowingly awesome, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like this sex. particular bottle, exactly. Exactly like sex. Exactly, Dr. Phil. Exactly, Dr. Phil. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this particular <laughs> bottle gives aromas of ripe berries with a little floral cherry blossom on the nose. And then it has a nice rich cherry and blackberry on the palate. It's balanced out with acidity, so it's not going to be too sweet, but does have a nice silky lingering finish. Oh. This shit's going to be Good. All right. Are we popping or cracking? Oh, baby, it's a popper. Oh, fancy. She's a popper. All right. Let's see if I can do this without making too much of a fool god of a fool. <laughs> too much a of a fool god. Too much of a, oh, geez. Okay, here we go. Ready? Mm. Ready. And. Oh. Woo! Oh, that really was a good pop. Silky lingering pop. Oh, the color of this is really beautiful. It's like nice and light and translucent in that nice Pinot Noir way, but it looks like, I don't know, it looks like the kind of ink I would want to use to write like an Elizabethan love letter. Mm. (laughs) Oddly specific. Right to your Austrian lover. (laughs) Von Land and sea. <laughs> okay. Cheers, my loves. Cheers. Cheers. All right, Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for coerced confessions? Well, I have Kenyon to thank for sending me the most cohesive article I could have hoped to find. So I didn't read it. Most I just my- saw the like first paragraph and was like oh she's gonna like this she's gonna cream her pants over this it was really good so that is the bulk of my uh research this week uh but before we get to that uh according to the innocence project more than one out of four people wrongfully convicted but later exonerated by dna evidence made a false concession confession concession of confession of footlong corn dogs or incriminating <laughs> statements. One out of four. So, one out of four who were wrongfully convicted and later exonerated by DNA wow. evidence. That's a lot. That's huge. So, it's not nearly as rare as one might think. Oh, no, it's not. So, let's talk about how this happens. And one way that I just want to acknowledge, but we're not going to talk about this week, is via torture. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And there are conflicting uh, stats on how effective that is, and it doesn't really work in a functioning judicial system or at least an apparently functioning judicial system. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to touch on that this week. I think torture could be its own. For sure. Could be its own episode. So we are going to talk about what is called the... Okay, I have to say this name probably 60 more times, so if I have mispronounced it the first time, 
Like, whatever. We'll, we'll all okay. get over it. I love it. Um, it's called the Good Johnson Suggestibility <laughs> Scale, or the GSS. Good Johnson. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, this is a psychological test that measures suggestibility. It was created in 1983 by Icelandic psychologist Geisli Hannes Gudjonsson. I was just going to ask. I was like, how Nordic <laughs> is this person? Super hyper Nordic. <laughs> um, and this test involves reading a short story to a subject and then testing their recall. So actually, the way that they do this is really interesting. Um, he noticed that while there was a significant body of research on the effects of leading questions on suggestibility, less was known about the effects of so-called specific instruction and interpersonal pressure. Okay. Okay. Previous methods of measuring suggestibility were primarily aimed at hypnotic phenomena. Mm. However, Good Johnson's scale was first created to be used specifically in conjunction with interrogative events interrogative events okay uh it relies on two different aspects of interrogative suggestibility it measures how much an interrogated person yields to leading questions as well as how much an interrogated person shifts their responses when additional interrogative pressure is applied okay so it's twofold and both of them are very important to measure and how does that relate um, so, to in reading a short story? It just does uh, somehow. Did I even get into that? I read it. <laughs> Apparently, I didn't paste it into here. Okay, so um, basically, the subject in this in these tests read a short story, and then an interrogator comes in and is like, "Okay, so tell me what happened in the story." Okay, but are you sure it wasn't the female and not the oh. male? Okay, are you sure that her coat was red and not blue? Oh, oh yeah. okay. okay, got That's it. That's making sense. That makes a lot more sense. So they read, yeah, so they read the story firsthand and then somebody questions them and applies, mm -hmm. you know, for example, interpersonal mm -hmm. pressures. Or if the story then, is about a man in a long coat, they could say the man in the blue coat and see if the mm -hmm. person like corrects them or is just like, yeah, the man in the blue coat. Yeah. Cool. I just totally did not paste any of that in. I'm so dumb. It was also at midnight last Honey. night, and it was a long day of... You're not uh, It dumb. was a long day, and the you are brilliant and perfect. And, and special. And we still got to it anyway. I am very special. <laughs> Yesterday was Dr. Ford's testifying day, and it was just a long fucking day, so... Yep. <laughs> anyway, that is the gist of it. And a lot of people... Uh, changed their answers and their responses. It was like a very small percentage of people who stuck to what they knew happened in this short okay. story. So, uh, where was I? There are three types of coerced confessions as defined by Good Johnson and McKeith, who was one of his partners, and expanded by another uh, researcher named Shepard, and outlined as such, and this is, again, taken basically entirely from a paper published in the University of Portsmouth in uh, 2013. 
And for any questions about citations, I refer you to their website because there were a lot of citations in this article and it would get real boring real quick if I recited every yeah. single one. Yeah, so. please do yeah, not. Yeah, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> so the first category is what's called voluntary false confessions. These occur when an interviewee falsely confesses for personal reasons without being pressured to do so. So possible reasons include to relieve feelings of guilt about a real or imagined transgression from the past, most likely to occur for people with depression. Okay. Which I thought was interesting. They could also do this to preempt further investigation of a more serious offense. Classic. It it could be to protect protect a significant other, Mm -hmm. um, to gain notoriety, which is a pathological need to become famous and enhance one's own self-esteem. Sounds familiar. It's me. Amanda. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) That's me. Uh, Those who are unable to distinguish fact from fantasy, so possibly a person with schizophrenia might fall into this category, Uh, when the interviewee sees no way of proving his or her innocence and confesses in order to gain a reduced sentence. Or to get parole, which a lot of people do. Yep. Yep. Um, To hide other non-criminal facts, for example, a love affair, or to take revenge on another person. So those are all examples of voluntary false confessions. Okay. And I feel like false confessions, the voluntary false confessions could be its own episode someday too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because there are so many fascinated reasons why a person right. might do that. The second category is called coerced compliant false confessions. These involve police coercion. Coercion. So here, the individual falsely confesses to the crime but holds an internal belief about his or her innocence. This type of false confession is caused by social influence. Interviewees who want um, an end to the questioning and to be allowed to go home, which is what happens in a lot of, like, crime shows. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, those who want to please the interviewers or who want to avoid being locked up in a police cell are all likely to elicit a false confession. Mm -hmm. Good Johnson noted that some suspects believe that their false confession will be found out later in the criminal justice uh, process and that they will not be wrongfully punished. Yeah, do not count on that. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. uh, No. (laughs) Individuals who are particularly susceptible to compliance, for example, people with a learning disability, may be especially vulnerable to this form of false confession. Again, Brendan Dassey. Yeah, which is so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. When he's like, can I go back to school now? Oh, I know. Every, yeah, that's really sad. Fucking heartbreaking. The the third category is the coerced internalized false confession. So like coerced compliant confessions, these involve police coercion. However, unlike the compliant confession, these involve internalization of the quote unquote fact. Mm. The suspect believes that he or she has actually committed the offense in question. And again, research surrounding this type of false confession is of interest to investigative interviewing policymakers as the suspect's beliefs of having committed the crime may may result from police interviewing behavior. So this is the most dangerous of the three. Yeah. If if an interrogator actually 
actually convinces a person that they committed a crime when they hadn't. Mm -hmm. Or convinces someone like, well, I don't remember, so maybe it did happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, in this category of false confession, as interviewee, an interviewee who is anxious, tired, confused, and subjected to highly suggestive methods of interrogation actually comes to believe that he or she has committed the crime. The suspect's memory of what transpired may be altered in the process, although this alteration is not necessarily permanent. Okay, so if they get some sleep um, and get out of that altered state, maybe they'll realize that they didn't. Yeah. Yep, okay. exactly. M memory distrust syndrome is of relevance here, and it concerns an interviewee who distrusts his or her own memory and as a result relies on external sources for information, such as the interviewer. Also season dangerous. one, Marcella. Don't bother with season two. It's total dog shit. <laughs> of what Marcella. Show? It's on Netflix. Oh, okay. I thought you said Coachella. <laughs> I mean both. I, like, I would like will my not bother to with season be two. erased if I were ever to watch a show <laughs> about Coachella. No, thank you. <laughs> there was no season two. Okay. This syndrome can be explained in two ways. The first relates to amnesia or memory impairment. Mm when the interviewee has no clear memory of not committing the crime and or has no recollection of what he or she was doing at the time of the crime. So kind of what you just mm -hmm. said, Kenyon. Not the Coachella thing, right. the other thing. I'm always talking about Coachella. I'm always just going on and on. <laughs> so distracted. Oh, my flower crown. Oh, I'm oh my denim short shorts with fringe. Oh, my God. I love that look, though, so... <laughs> Step the fuck off. Back if, off. If I can't wear <laughs> leggings, I'm not going. Fringe four days, crop tops for always. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, this may be due to amnesia or alcohol-induced memory problems or Coachella. <laughs> the second explanation occurs when an interviewee is well aware that he or she did not commit the crime at the start of the interview, but becomes doubtful when the interviewer skillfully manipulates the interviewee with questions. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's, that's crazy, and I want to learn that technique to use it on Zach. And is that gaslighting? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it's his uh, fault. It's not gaslighting. It's his fault. He's responsible. <laughs> you can't gaslight a man. We're joking. That's sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> this causes the interviewee to gradually mistrust his or her own memories, especially if subjected to repeated suggestion of the interviewer's own view of events. Yep. So if the interviewer was like, no, I was there. I saw you stab mm -hmm. that person or whatever. Not a not a great example. Or the fact but that cops can just whatever. lie and be like, "We've got your DNA." There it could yeah. only be yeah. you. The your trickery. accomplice already confessed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we have the enough 19... on you. We just, you know, it would be so much easier if you just confess. It'd right. be better for you if you just confess. Right. Exactly. Quit while you're ahead. A 1989 study notes that there are three common personality traits in people who give this type of false confession. They either have a trust in people of authority, never a yeah, good idea, nope. a lack of self-confidence, 
uh, and a heightened suggestibility, which, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously. According to Good Johnson, the false belief (laughs) and false memories in cases of coerced, internalized false confessions are most commonly developed as a result of manipulative interrogation techniques. Durr. Mm -hmm. In 1996, researchers Kassen and Kichel carried out an experiment to show that people can internalize the details of their false confessions. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here was another... This is what I was thinking of. This is a different test. Um, They warned 65 students not to touch a computer key during an experiment because the computer would crash and all the research data would be lost. Okay. 60 seconds into the supposed experiment... I jumped in and touched the key. Because that's (laughs) immediately what I would do. (laughs) Jumped out of her time machine. What, this key? (laughs) Who? Me? (laughs) You would internalize so much. (laughs) Am I drunk? Wait. I can't tell. There's no way to know. (laughs) Okay. 60 seconds into the supposed experiment, the computer did indeed crash, purposefully organized by the experimenters, Mm -hmm. and each participant was blamed for it, all of whom were innocent and had not touched the key. Hmm. All at first denied the charge, but when a confederate said that she had seen them do it, 69% signed a confession. Oh, my God. 28% 28% internalized their guilt for this mm. act, quote-unquote act, and 9% even went on to confabulate details to support their false belief. Like, oh, so I was crazy. pushed, or that kind Like, maybe I, yeah, maybe I did touch it. Yeah. There's so much psychology at play here, too, which is crazy. Like, the fact that they're in a group, the fact that a person of authority is implicating the entire group, and, like, the way that they talk to the group. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. We watched all these, like, case studies in one of my psych classes last semester, and the things that people will confess to or purposely give different information just to, like, comply with the other people around them or follow the rules that are being... Yeah like imposed upon them is crazy. Like it's like, you can't control it. You know that it's not necessarily the truth, mm-hmm. but those social pressures yes. are so it's yeah. really bizarre. Yeah. Don't trust. So your brain. although this, ex- no, ever <laughs> treat your brain. Don't, don't trust. trust also your never brain. trust that the stated goal of a research project is what they is said. the reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never. They are oh, tricking you. Is. You are an experiment. <laughs> yeah. You are a lab rat. (laughs) Yeah. Although this experiment cannot be wholly parallel to a real interrogation situation, it does show that even in this relatively friendly environment, intelligent adults can create a false confession. Mm -hmm. In order to further support the concept of coerced internalized false confessions, Cassin describes the case of Peter Riley, an 18-year-old, after being questioned for several hours and being told he had failed an infallible lie detector test, confessed to the murder of his mother. Oh, my God. He went went through a process of denial, confusion, self-doubt, through to conversion, and accordingly wrote a full confession. Holy shit. He... He believed that he had murdered his mother, but independent evidence revealed that he had, in fact, not. It's so wow. wild. Oh, my God. Yeah. So how can we prevent false and coerced confessions? Uh, the primary way is that video recording of confessions um, 
well, it has been advocated as a strong safeguard against false confessions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the only way to prevent this since it's such a psychological heavy concept. Right, and then you can catch the people who are making the, the investigation, yeah, like in yeah. the act of swaying the answer. Right. And having a psychologist sit down and watch the entire interrogation and and be able to weigh in and say, like, you know, this was coerced. Yeah. I mean, just the leading questions like, well, isn't it true that you were wearing this or that you were doing this? Like can plant this crazy seed of doubt in that one moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so over crazy. hours and hours, especially if someone is tired. Yeah, you're exhausted. Or, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. It would drive you literally crazy no. or to think that you might be going crazy. Uh, like, uh, uh, am I wearing pants yeah, right now? Right. I mean, the answer is no for me, but uh, <laughs> with enough crazy persuasion. Typically, no. How, uh, it depends on what your definition of is is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, recording of interrogation should be mandated by legislation. And also judges should suppress quote-unquote confessions from juries if they were not properly recorded and I assume reviewed by a psychologist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah that's my section wow no that was <laughs> really eye-opening yeah it's there crazy. are a lot of different it's interesting ways to, to skew the results and there's so much to know about you, how you can ask a question just to get the results and the answer that you want and how it's really not that hard to do. That's so fucked up. Our psychology and like is all the different so types. fragile. Yeah, it is. And all the different types of pressures you can apply to one person mm-hmm. to get the result that you want. It's really frightening. Yeah. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you message a licensed therapist from anywhere at any time. All you need is a computer with internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app on your phone. Mm. That means you can improve your mental health even if you've had trouble making time for it in the past. It's amazing. That's key. That is key. And if you're feeling overwhelmed and like you can't even imagine fitting anything else into your life, then Talkspace is pretty perfect for you. Um, Therapy is as Mm -hmm. easy as sending your therapist a message on your phone. You can get something Mm -hmm. off your chest whenever you need to. And my favorite part is that you can go back and look at previous messages and feedback that your therapist has given you for, you know, the rest of time. You can Mm -hmm. talk about everyday challenges at work or at home or just chat about life, whatever you need to talk about. There are no extra commutes, no driving past that McDonald's on your way. (laughs) No bras, no No, pants. None of it. And best of all, there's no judgments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the Talkspace platform has over 2,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life's challenges that we all face. So career, kids, partners, depression, anxiety, whatever. It, they run the gamut. They got it all. Um, mm-hmm. To match with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com forward slash GALS, G-A-L-S, and use the promo code GALS to get $45 off your first month. And this is key. It also shows your support for this show. So there's really no excuse. It's always a good time to treat your brain. Love it. Treat your brain. All right. So... <clears throat> My case. Oh, bum, bum, bum. On December, I'm pouring more wine. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I mm. was just going to. Yep. 
pouring more wine into my fucking patriarchy flexible wine glass while I'm wearing my fucking patriarchy sweatshirt with my fucking patriarchy tank underneath because yep. I had to triple the fuck down today. With a fucking patriarchy bracelet on my wrist. Yes, Claw. Mm. It's one of those days. Okay. On December, one of those days. <laughs> on December 18th, 1953, 43-year-old steel worker and married father of two, Jack Boone, which is like oh. such, such a 1953 name. It's a good name. Uh, left his home on Michigan Avenue in Chicago to head off to work. He would later be discovered in a passageway alongside his apartment building. I'm guessing like an alleyway. Um, oh. Bleeding from the back of his head, behind his right ear. Jack Boone. Boone. Jack Boone. Jack what have Boone. they done to you? Well, Boone was taken to the hospital, but he died there of his injuries on December 21st. Oh, my God. Mm. In the meantime, on December 19th, Boone's wallet, which is thought to have contained $4.80, uh, was discovered in a nearby apartment building. And I have no further information on this, but you'd think that'd be relevant. Yeah. You would. Yeah. Well, um, it kind of shows that it wasn't financially motivated. Or if it was initially that they've done fucked up and only got four bucks out of the deal. Well, no, they didn't because it was in the wallet. I'm already drunk. I, th- <laughs> I don't think that, I don't think Amanda the money- confesses to the crime. <laughs> I did uh, it, it was me. I did it. I wasn't born yet, but I managed to do it. Um, Time I, machine. I needed four bucks for Subway, and then I dropped it, and then I panicked and ran. <laughs> and someone I, died, and I'm so sorry. And by I subway, don't... I mean the sandwich, not the subway. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Um, I don't think the money was still in the wallet. I think maybe they asked his wife, and his wife was like, I don't know. I think he probably had around five bucks in there. I don't know. Mm. So at 1.45 a.m. on January 1st, 1954, so early morn, a New Year's Day, Um, 19-year-old Mississippi native Charles Townsend was arrested by police. Townsend became a suspect in the case because a man named Vincent Campbell, who was a sort of like a friend acquaintance of his, claimed to have seen Townsend at a billiard hall near the scene of the attack with the caveat that Vincent didn't actually know that any attack had occurred. Mm. Okay, so he just was like, I saw him at a billiard hall at 35th and whatever. Okay? Yeah. Um, Quote, one evening during the middle of December. So he couldn't even be sure of the the date. when. Yeah. Yeah. Vincent also claimed that he'd spotted a brick in Townsend's bag and that the 19-year-old had told him he was, quote, going to make some money. Okay. So, again, Vincent had no knowledge of the attack on Boone when he gave this testimony to police. So I don't really know how they found him, how they found Vincent, how they got this information about Townsend, but they did, and they were like, okay, we're going to pick Townsend up for the murder of Jack Boone. Okay. Townsend, who is black, um, was penniless, without family, illiterate, and an admitted narcotics addict. 
He'd, okay. he'd been addicted to heroin since the age of 15, and at the time of his arrest, he informed police that he'd just taken a dose of heroin about one and a half hours earlier. Wow, okay. Like, right when they picked him up, he just offered that information. Um, police took Townsend to the second district police station, and an arrest slip was filled out by the jailer at 2.30 a.m., the timeline kind of matters. Um, Townsend was then questioned by three officers. Fitzgerald. Ooh. It was me. You did it. Confess. One of your distant ancestors. Confess. Well, not that distant. This is the 50s. It's like one generation above us, but whatever. Shut up. <laughs> it was my dad. Everybody shut up. It was my dad. My oh, dad my was always your the dad. killer. Um, Fitzgerald, Cagney, and Corcoran. Cagney is just perfect. Okay. <laughs> it's the most Irish group of names ever. It's Chicago in the 50s. Chicago cops in the 50s. Um, God. So he's questioned <laughs> by these officers about various crimes, including the Boone attack, but also other robberies and, and assaults that had taken place. Um, uh. And he denies having anything to do with any of them. Okay. Okay. Townsend then gets placed in an empty women's cell and waits. At 5 a.m., he's moved to another police station and placed in another cell, but not interrogated again. He remains okay. lying down on the bunk all day into evening. And he's also, like, withdrawing from heroin. Just, yep, exactly. Feeling like shit. At some see point... At some point, Townsend begged officers for a dose of narcotics, which they obviously mm. did not grant him. Uh, I don't think methadone existed in the 50s. No. Yeah. Def not. At 8.30 p.m., Townsend was made to participate in what was called a show-up, but it's basically a police lineup. Um, and, quote, during the show-up, Plaintiff and another prisoner engaged in a fist fight. Ooh. Which I have a lot of questions about this. Um, I did some digging. What we know is that the lineup was f for a, a witness to a different crime to identify the perpetrator of that crime. Oh, weird. Um, okay. And the fight broke out after that witness identified someone other than Townsend. Hmm. So it was for a different robbery, and that witness identified a different person. So we Weird, have no okay. idea why this fight broke out. Well, Townsend alleges that Officer Cagney punched him in the stomach after the, the quote, failed lineup. And hmm. the police just say that a scuffle ensued. A kerfuffle, if you will. It was a kerfuffle. We have no idea. I am dying to know. Um, I also read that Officer Cagney may have taken the witness aside and told them that they'd, quote, identified the wrong person. Okay. <laughs> Which, like, pretty sure that's not how that works, but okay. Um, <laughs> I have questions. That's <laughs> the exact opposite of what you're supposed to say and do. Um at this point, <laughs> Townsend, who'd gone 19 hours without a hit of heroin, and how long does it take to, like, start 
experiencing withdrawal. I mean, withdrawal. it depends on like what your, you know, pattern of use is and how much you've taken. But heroin doesn't like the high of heroin does not last very long. And he yeah, it could so, be like a couple hours. Yeah, consistent users can start going experiencing withdrawal symptoms within like a couple hours of their last use. Okay, so he's and it's uh, reportedly it's supposed to be like the worst fucking flu you've ever had in your life, like debilitating, like it's f- nasty. Yeah, the withdrawal. Well, we'll get into some of the the symptoms, but he, so he's 19 hours in, and he'd been a heavy user of heroin for the last like four years. So yeah, he's in a world of hurt right now. Yeah. Um, He was complaining of severe stomach pains, clutching his abdomen, and even vomiting small amounts of blood at this point. That's about right. You vomit blood? I think he was just vomiting so much that it it caused him to vomit blood. Um, Cagney telephoned for a police surgeon slash physician who arrived to examine Townsend at 9.45 p.m. According to Townsend's defense, Officer Cagney offered to call a doctor only if Townsend would, quote, cooperate and, quote, tell the oh truth. Oh, my God. Of course he's going to say anything he can to get some help. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holy shit. Yep. Five minutes later, the officer changed his approach and told Townsend, hey, man, I think you're innocent. Um, and I'm going to call the doctor and, and kind of imply that the doctor would give him a narcotic. Like so your pain will be over soon. I'll call the doctor. Yeah. Like he's right. doing like a weird, like coercion slash good cop routine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he'd already done the bad cop routine of punching him in the stomach where he's yeah. already feeling stomach cramps and pain in his stomach. <sighs> Um, the doctor arrived and diagnosed the stomach pains as heroin withdrawal symptoms and injected a solution into Townsend's arm with a hypodermic syringe. The doctor said that the solution contained two cc's of a saline solution, one eighth grain of sodium phenobarbital, and one 230th grain, I don't know. All the doctors are going to email us and be like, ah, that's all wrong. Um, grain of... Send it attention, Kenyon. <laughs> attention, the intern, Derek. Derek. Um, Derek. I was just going to say. And also a grain of hyacine hydrobromide. Okay? Okay. Phenobarbital is a barbiturate. It was developed as an anti-seizure medication to treat epilepsy, but it's also sometimes used to treat um, insomnia because it's a soporific. Um, as it's well a fucking a, barbiturate. Yeah, as well as drug and alcohol withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Side effects include decreased level of consciousness, sedation, cool. hypnosis, confusion... And ataxia, which is the a lack of voluntary coordination of muscle movements and speech changes. I mean, I don't know. This all sounds like perfect atmosphere for a solid confession. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a Friday night. Yep. I am ready. So it basically fucks with your central nervous system. And then hyacine hydrobromide is a drug used to treat motion sickness 
because it's basically an anti-nausea medication, but its side effects are fairly similar in that it's like drowsiness, dizziness, confusion, loss of memory, and even in rare cases, hallucinations. Ooh. And I I didn't get into the effects of like higher doses because we know the dose. So these are just like the normal dose of side effects. Um, so he it. was administered a high dose of both of those things? No. I think he was administered a totally normal and even possibly small dose of oh, these okay. things. But these side effects are still yeah. Yeah. likely with the normal dose. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, hyacine is also sometimes used by criminals to render victims unconscious before committing whatever crime they're going to commit. So sometimes even... It's not common, but there are some cases of, like, it being used for date rape, um, Mm -hmm. kidnapping, robbery, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of cases out of Colombia, actually, of people using this drug to commit crimes. Yeah. Um, The doctor also left behind uh, some extra phenobarbital tablets with instructions for Townsend to take more um, at midnight and in the morning, which he did. Okay. According to Officer Cagney, after the doctor treated Townsend, he was interrogated for the second time for a period of 15 minutes, and this time he confessed. Weird. Yeah. So he confessed to striking a man and robbing him on December 18th in an area near Boone's apartment building. And my question is, what fucking heroin addict is going to remember the exact date of a robbery that happened two weeks prior if, like, this is his yeah, MO? Yeah, I mean, that shit does put you pretty out of it. Yeah. yeah. And if he's been a consistent user for the, like, recent past. He's not going to be like, well, on December 18th at approximately at 6 p.m. PM yeah. Yeah. That's unlikely. Especially if, like, he's consistently robbing people to buy heroin. Like, how is Mm. he going to know the date of a particular mugging? Yeah. Um, And area. Also, again, 15 minutes to get this confession. And the whole confession time lasted only nine minutes. Yikes. At 11.15 p.m., Uh, The assistant state's attorney questioned Townsend and his statement was recorded by a shorthand reporter and he initialed the pages. Um, On the evening of Sunday, January 3rd, Townsend again complained of feeling ill and the doctor gave him more phenobarbital tablets to take. The next day, Townsend, quote, awoke at a desk with a pen in his hand. Shut up. Are you fucking kidding me? He'd been out of it that whole time. Yep. And came to in this scenario. Yep. And that's how fucked up he was when he signed that. Yep. According to the defense, he signed his name believing that he was going to be released on bond because the last thing that he remembered was Cagney telling him, I believe you. I think you're innocent. Oh, my God. He had no idea what he was signing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he only later realized that he had signed a confession to the Boone murder. Okay, so now, Townsend. He's out of withdrawal. 
I, I don't know. We're fast-forwarding a, a while. He's out of withdrawal, and he's denying ever having robbed or assaulted Jack Boone. Yeah, because he's got a clearer mind now. Right. So at his first trial, the defense tried to contend that Townsend was uh, put under the influence of a police-injected narcotic drug to pacify and quiet him. And while he was mm-hmm. thus under its influence, he was questioned and the confession was extracted. And the defense likened this drug cocktail to a supposed truth serum. And oh Lord, we're gonna oh, get Jesus. in. We're gonna get into that. Um, and that confessions made under the influence of such a drug should be inadmissible. So that was their plan at the first trial. Quick sidebar, truth serum. Truth serum is a colloquial name for any range of psychoactive drugs used in an effort to obtain information from subjects who are unable or unwilling to provide it otherwise. Thank you, Wikipedia. Nailed it. Well, the Uh, CIA was using um, LSD as a possible truth serum back in like mm -hmm. the 60s or whatever. Oh, yeah. They've tried all different kinds of things. And barbiturates are pretty frequently used because... A lot of them can make you sleepy and drowsy and kind of compliant, but not necessarily fall asleep. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So you're still conscious, so they have, like, some... Something to work with, but you're, like, really peaceful and like suggestible um Mm -hmm. there's no evidence that the information provided under the influence of these so-called truth serums is necessarily truthful at all um Mm -hmm. in fact quote subjects questioned under the influence of such substances have been found to be suggestible and their memories subject to reconstruction and fabrication exactly yeah so-called exactly dr phil exactly Exactly, dr Dr. phil yeah i we need to find that episode so we can show that tell we recently watched this exactly dr phil dr phil exactly okay (laughs) i I like that woman though i love it i watched that whole episode she's really nice Exactly. 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 Dr. She's not an attack on her character. No. We just like how she says exactly. Dr. <laughs> she exactly. Says, she says exactly like three hundred times in it's the span so of four minutes. I yeah. love it. It's incredible. She's okay. amazing. All right. So-called truth serums are not accepted as investigative tools in either civil or criminal cases, and may even be a violation of Fifth Amendment right to remain silent laws, and therefore unconstitutional. Uh, Ooh, yep. good point. Yep. Because like people under I that would influence, wholeheartedly agree with that. Like literally can't remain silent no, because they have no agency. Yeah. they don't. They just don't. Yeah. Furthermore, quote, the practice of chemically inducing an involuntary mental state is now widely considered to be a form of torture and is a violation of the Inter-American Convention to Prevent and Punish Torture. Yes. Okay, so now in this case, the legal crux of the question is whether sodium phenobarbital mixed with hyacine hydrobromide counts as a truth serum. Oh, God, here we go. Okay. Psychopharmacology, let's do this. Yeah. So at the first trial, I told you what the defense wanted to argue makes perfect sense. But the court denied the defense the right to present evidence that the drugs administered amounted to a truth serum. 
Well, then what's the fucking point? Mm -hmm. And the judge hate everything. allowed the contested confessions to be entered as evidence. <gasps> so they couldn't oh mention the God. drugs and the confessions were entered in. Yeah. The confessions in question. Right. Are allowed as evidence. It's so fucking so, frustrating. Not surprisingly, Charles Townsend was convicted for the murder of Jack Boone and sentenced to death. At to the same death? Yeah. Fuck. It was the it was 1955, I think. The first well, trial. And he's black. Yeah. He's a black teenager heroin user. Yeah. Like the, yeah, the, that's three strikes. You're the, out. The system is not cutting him any slack no um, and that's in the 50s and guess what it's pretty much exactly the same right now yeah, yeah i guess i shouldn't so, have been so surprised i guess i was no. still just thinking that someone was holding out for him mm -hmm. uh it gets so much worse okay <sighs> at the same time the other charges to which townsend allegedly confessed at the same time were all dismissed so the jury or the court recognized that, like, he confessed. Some of the confessions were off. Yeah. But kept one and sentenced him to death over it. Mm-hmm. Later, the Supreme Court of Illinois upheld the conviction. And it gets super confusing, but the appeals basically wound their way through all the courts, all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And then eventually they're going to wind themselves all the way back down to the lower courts and then all the way back up again. So we're going to do a little bit of zooming out and just cover the important bits. Um, from jail, Townsend files a writ of habeas corpus against his jailers on the grounds that his confession had not been voluntary, that the drug had been a truth serum causing cognitive impairment, and that the police had used Townsend's vulnerable position of being in withdrawal and the relief that drugs could provide him as leverage to get him to 1, confess. thousand percent. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what fucking happened. Yep. And in addition to all of this, that the police also verbally and physically coerced him to confess to a crime that he did not commit. Makes perfect sense. Um, in 1963, the Supreme Court rules that the state had not given Townsend a proper evidentiary hearing when they denied the truth serum evidence to be admitted. Mm -hmm. So they didn't mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. didn't rule on his like guilt or innocence or even the truthfulness of the confession itself. They just said that evidence should have been let in. OK. okay. So they send yeah. they send it on back down to the lower courts, being like, "You got to let this stuff in." In the Supreme Court ruling, the court wrote, "It is difficult to imagine a situation in which a confession would be less the product of a free intellect, less voluntary than when brought about by a drug having the effect of a truth serum. Any questioning by police offices, which in fact produces a confession which is not the product of a free intellect, renders the confession inadmissible." Thank you. Yeah. yeah. But again, they're not ruling on his guilt or innocence, and they're not ruling on whether or not the drugs that he received constitute a truth serum. I think it's ridiculous that there's a very finite definition of a truth serum. Like, well, there the, isn't. Yeah. 
there isn't a definition of a truth serum, which is why it's tricky. There is but not. But they're all saying, like, that's not a truth serum. That does not constitute a truth serum. But really what it did was still incapacitate him enough that he passed the fuck out and had well, no... It gets sent back to the lower courts, and the the prosecution has the police doctor testify. And what he says is basically like, hey, this is just a standard practice for what you give someone going through withdrawal. So I just gave him what I would give anyone going through withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Which is okay. probably true. It's not necessarily that they all conspired. No, but the fact you know. of the matter is it that treatment has these effects. Right. So that has to be taken into account. Right. So this is what the police doctor said. Quote, I found from, well, okay. See, he found from his experience that phenobarbital reacts very well combined with hyacine to quiet a person, to pacify, because it delays at once emotional trends that cause one to be hilarious and excitable. The addict in withdrawal is suffering from a nervous reaction. The hyacine is to relax and the phenobarbital to sedatize. Quote, I wanted him to rest. I did not want him to go to sleep. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Um, under cross-examination, the police doctor was asked whether he had given Townsend any truth serum or anything you considered that. And he answered, no, I never saw any in my life. But, like, again, that's completely subjective. Right. Yeah, because he might not see it as a truth serum, right. regardless of how much he recognizes these side effects. Right. A different doctor that the defense called testified that hyacine would increase disorientation in the patient, quote, affecting consciousness and memory within a wide range. Within that range, it produces amnesia and memory loss as to details and events occurring during the period of the effects of the hyacine, which is five to eight hours. So backing up this Townsend's testimony that he doesn't even remember signing shit and, like, at one point woke up to sign some more shit and, like, doesn't even fucking remember. Um, He also claimed that the drugs given to Townsend would remove the subject from the scope of reality. Mm Mm-hmm. So I had... A crazy difficult time finding out what ultimately happened to Charles Townsend um, and whether or not he was ever released from prison. So I don't know what ultimately happened to him, but this is what I could find out. Thank you to newspapers.com, which which has given us um, whatever, a subscription, and we have access to newspapers dating back to like... I don't know, the founding of the Republic. Kenyon went wild. I'm obsessed. It's been a problem, (laughs) and that subscription, I have newspapers.com to to blame for Kenyon's uh, Mm -hmm. behavior. Well, we wouldn't have any of this information if it weren't for newspapers.com because I literally couldn't find it by Googling. So I know that before the Supreme Court ruling, so the Supreme Court ruled in 1963, all this, all this jazz. 
But in 1957, I believe, uh, Townsend was almost executed by electric chair. And he got so close as to he had already eaten his last meal. Oh, my God. And then he was granted a stay of execution. Um, he had it, He's had at least, at a minimum, 14 stays of execution over the years. So he's, he's, wow. got, he's gotten close to being electrocuted a lot. Um, his appeals have dragged on, and the last that I could find was that in 1974, he was resentenced to 14 to 50 years in prison for the murder. But with time served, he, he was able to immediately ap- apply for parole. However, he fucking declined to apply for parole because he was like, no, I'm innocent. And to get parole, I have to admit to having done this. And I didn't. Right. Which, like, I kind of get. Yeah. So he was like, I'm not applying for parole. I'm going to try another appeal. He's had a million appeals at this point. And it's just gone. It's like ping ponged all through the courts. Um, to try to get his conviction overturned, which is like, I'm sorry, you don't do that if you're guilty. You don't. Absolutely not. If you're guilty and someone is like, hey, finally say you're guilty and you can walk out of here. You're not like, no, I'm going to try my, for my innocence to be proven. Well, devil's advocate, the staircase. No, but he wasn't like offered parole that instant. No, he wasn't, but he went through and declined a lot of years of potential settlement to maintain his innocence, even though, in my opinion, I don't think he's innocent, but whatever. That's a different story entirely. Okay. Just saying people's motivations are not always clear to us. That's true. That's true. It That's could true. also be a case of, like, okay, I've been in prison for the majority of my life at this point. Outside, I was an addict. Inside, I'm not, and I have some sort of stability and you know, regulation. Yeah, but we can't, we can't assume that he's not using in prison because there are a lot of ways to get drugs in prison, even in the fifties. So we don't have that information. So we just don't know. Well, I mean, we're speculating wildly. It's what we do all the time. Right. I mean, that's a possibility, but his state just, just because you're in there. prison doesn't mean you're clean. I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. His stated reason was that he wanted to prove his innocence and be vindicated. He wants to clear his name. Yeah. Um, he also told reporters that one time he, he like, elected to spend five years in solitary confinement so that he could study the Bible in peace and quiet. And wow. he, he, he was illiterate when he went to prison, and he learned how to read in prison. Wow. That's, That's fascinating. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, um, who the fuck knows what his motivations are? Yeah. Well, he told reporters that he's trying to clear his name. And, like, right. get out someday. He did say he wants to get out someday and, and return to Mississippi. Um, Officer Cagney won the Cook County State's Attorney's Annual Award for Outstanding Law Enforcement. Oh, sweet of the year. Yeah. Oh, my God. For, for his role in putting Townsend away. So he won it that, that year. Yeah. Good job. And... I don't know what happened to Townsend ultimately. I don't know if he's still in prison. I don't know if he's alive. I don't, I like, 
I feel bad, but I texted Zach's best man, who's a lawyer, <laughs> and was like, hey, do you know this case? Look into this for me. <laughs> like, also, how are you? Did you check Facebook, though? <laughs> Does he have a current Facebook page? I don't think so. Because um, if he doesn't, he's probably dead. Oh, no. It's true, though. The long-lasting impact of this case was that in 1966, Congress amended habeas corpus laws to fit with the Supreme Court's ruling um, and basically laid out the cases in which a prisoner has a legitimate cause to be granted a new hearing. Mm. So, yeah, that is my case. Charles Townsend. Open-ended. I like it. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> if anyone knows Hi. what happened to this this person, please Seriously. let us know. Because I really dug. I really want to know. And it's kind of alarming that there's no, we don't know. No follow-up. Yeah. Nope. Well, sometimes that can almost be an answer in and of itself. Because if someone, but then prison records are usually available publicly so you can usually see if someone's a current inmate they get moved around a lot though yeah you'd yeah. have to search no in news the often right. means they're just still in the system yeah That's so weird then again if he had died of say natural causes and there was no obituary in the newspaper for him how uh, death records are usually public domain too aren't they like at least i think you, you can't just like google it you have to like go look it up yeah Googling is just obituaries, I think. And I I've Google a lot a of lot obituaries. Of, yeah, I've spent a lot of definitely time. Definitely Google a lot of obits. Complicating the matter is that there was somebody named Michael Charles Townsend, totally different Oh, that's dude, just obnoxious. Out of a town, <laughs> out of a town called Boone. Oh, for nope. fuck's sake, sit so down. I hate it. It made it really sit down. Sit down, Michael Charles. <laughs> Take several seats. You're just a distraction at this point. <laughs> so that oh made it harder. God. But if anyone is like a wizard and can figure this out, please let us know because for sure it drives me insane when I can't find the answer. If you're a regular listener, you probably heard us talk to forensic meteorologist slash my new mom, Dr. Elizabeth Austin. <laughs> if you have not yet watched her show, Storm of Suspicion, stop everything you're doing in your life. You need to check it out. It's on the Weather Channel. It airs on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. It'll change your life. Mm -hmm. Here's what it's all about. Every week, Dr. Austin and lead investigators take you through a different case where weather... That's right. Weather. Weather. W-E-A-T-H-E-R. T-H-E-R. Like, we're your weather girls. It's raining men. Weather. Was used to either cover up a crime or led to a conviction. It is a crime show unlike anything else you've ever seen, and you won't want to miss it. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Storm of Suspicion has everything you love about your favorite true crime shows. Deceit. Mm -hmm. Murder. Check. Figuring out who done it. Check. Mm -hmm. And adds a hint of weather, like only the Weather Channel can. Going check, to the check, check. Actually, It makes it way more interesting, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's really fascinating. So, did a hurricane initially cover up, then help solve a murder? Tricky yep. hurricane. <laughs> How 
did a rain puddle ultimately lead to a murder conviction? Oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> well, then you better tune in to see how weather can help suspects stay under the radar and also lead to their downfall. Oh, weather puns! Weather puns are the best puns. <laughs> All right, uh, in Storm of Suspicion, Dr. Austin slash Amanda's mom will have you looking <laughs> at crimes in a whole new way as she shows you how investigators can use Mother Nature to solve some of the most difficult cases. Uh, Love it. You can watch Storm of Suspicion every Sunday night through November at 8 Eastern, 7 Central, only on the Weather Channel. And that is Storm of Suspicion every Sunday night through November at 8 Eastern, 7 Central on the Weather Channel. If you've been listening to this show, you have probably heard us talk about Framebridge. Mm -hmm. They make it super easy and affordable to frame your favorite things from art prints and posters to the travel photos sitting on your phone. For been example, there, the wine coven art print that you can purchase yes. on our store. <laughs> or perhaps Love it. a photo, a selfie that you took with us at a live show, perchance. Perhaps. We're very self-centered here at Wine and Crime. <laughs> Frame all your photos of us at Framebridge. <laughs> So here is how Framebridge works. Just go to framebridge.com and upload your photo, or they'll send you packaging to safely mail in your physical piece, like your wine coven poster. Mm -hmm. Preview your item online in any frame style. Choose your favorite or get free recommendations from their talented designers, underscore talented, because yeah. we've gotten some really nice suggestions from them. For real. The expert team at Framebridge will custom frame your item and deliver your finished piece directly to your door, ready to hang. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And instead of the hundreds of dollars you'll pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39. Yep. Such a good deal. And all shipping is free, to mm -hmm. and fro. All shipping is free. Plus, our listeners will get a 15% uh, discount off their first order at Framebridge.com when they use our code GALS, G-A-L-S. Oh, it's so amazing. If any of you follow me on Instagram, which many of you do, you've seen photos of my gallery wall over my incredible couch in my new apartment. Mm -hmm. Gallery and wall. My gallery wall. <laughs> and I kid you not, like 90% of those pieces are framed using Fan art. Oh. It's seriously amazing. <laughs> I It couldn't be easier. I personally have not sent things in to be framed, but Kenyon has, and she said it was a super smooth and awesome mm -hmm. process. I've simply uploaded things from my phone. I often take like really fun photos for Instagram or for Facebook and want to display them. I have some really cool stuff from Joshua Tree National Park that I took and I got framed through Framebridge. Um, that amazing portrait that uh, a, a listener drew of my late dog is in like a huge frame on my wall that I love. Um, it, it's just like they can do it all and they have so many options. Every frame I've bought is different. They have tons of different stuff that fits with anybody's style. It was so easy. And like Lucy mentioned, when they say ready to hang, they mean ready to hang. It mm -hmm. has all the hardware. All you need is your hammer. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And you can hammer in the morning. You can hammer in the evening. Okay. You can um, hammer at supper time. <laughs> um, I've mailed in physical pieces, like Amanda said, and it was always super easy and, and really high quality. Mm -hmm. um, so get started today. Upgrade your walls for the holidays or get an early start on your gift list. Framebridge oh, makes it makes a really such good a good gift, gift y'all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, go to framebridge.com and use promo code GALS. You'll save an additional 15% off your first order. Just go to framebridge.com, promo code GALS. So that's F R A 
M-E-B-R-I-D-G-E.com, promo code G-A-L-S, to get 15% off your first order. Framebridge.com, promo code GALS. Treat your walls. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with real whole ingredients. Uh, RX Bar wants to build things the right way. RX Bar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all the talking, unlike us gals who do too much talking. Um, and all of those ingredients are listed on the front of the packaging. You'd likely so recognize RX Bar at the shelf. Uh, they're the ones who have egg whites for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious mm. ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real mm -hmm. fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. Saga. Um, I love that uh, these real food ingredients actually taste really good. Mm -hmm. Also that they are gluten-free, soy-free, and dairy-free. Hello. Um, and whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, I like it all. Uh, I'm not picky. There's definitely an RX bar for you, and they have no artificial colors, no artifi artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. Mm -hmm. These things are seriously a godsend. RX bars are great for a million different occasions, including breakfast on the go. Let me tell you, I am diabetic. I should not skip breakfast, and it is so hard for me to get up early enough to actually have a breakfast routine, RX Bar has saved my life in that a million times. Mm -hmm. um, a snack at the office to push you through your 3 p.m. slump, or for me in class when lecture is just getting too boring mm -hmm. and I need <laughs> that chocolate sea salt mm -hmm. to like get me through my life. Um, throw it in your bag for an endless billion hour plane ride, Kenyon. Yes, um, absolutely. If, if you lead an active lifestyle, you can toss it in your bag for a bike ride or a hike. It's just some emergency sustenance throughout. Um, a pre- or post-workout snack. It's seriously incredible for just the convenience and how delicious it is. And like Kenyon mentioned, the egg white protein, it stands out as a source of protein that's super easy for your body to absorb. So it's not going to put a lot of added pressure on our already hard-working bads. So here's the best part. Our X-Bars come in 14 delicious flavor varieties. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. They've got mango pineapple, chocolate hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, mm. chocolate sea salt, Amanda, mm -hmm. looking Heavenly. at you. Coconut chocolate, my personal favorite. Uh, they've got mixed berry, blueberry, maple sea salt, mm. apple cinnamon, mint chocolate, chocolate chip, peanut butter, peanut butter chocolate, and coffee chocolate. Whew. And... As if that's not enough, they also have seasonal flavors, too. Amazing. Bless them. I love it. <laughs> and now RX Bar has debuted an RX Nut Butter. Yes. You heard that correctly. Which contains a few simple and similar ingredients like egg whites, fruits, and nuts. Each single-serve packet contains delicious, creamy nut butter mm. with 9 grams of high-quality protein. It is squeezable and spreadable. And it pairs great with fruit, rice cakes, pretzels, or straight out of the pouch. Mm -hmm. That's my preference. I'm, a, I'm right a straight out of the Cut pouch, out the middle, girl. Man. Yeah. Straight into the face. <laughs> their, their nut butter flavors include honey, cinnamon, peanut butter, Yum. peanut butter, Yum. and vanilla almond butter. It is, they're incredible. And trust me when I say you're going to just want to eat them straight out of the packet mm -hmm. because you will. So treat yourself to some RX Bar products and get 
25% off your first order by visiting rxbar.com forward slash gals and entering promo code gals at checkout. Again, that's for 25% off your first order by visiting rxbar, that's rxbar.com forward slash g-a-l-s gals and entering promo code g-a-l-s gals at checkout. Mm-hmm. Treat your gut. Treat it. Okay. My case. <laughs> kind of frustrating. Cool. As these things are wont to be. <laughs> so in 1982, great year I've heard. I was not alive. <laughs> um, Rebecca Lynn Williams. Rebecca Lynn Rebecca Lehman. Lehman. <laughs> I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> Mother of three was raped and stabbed over 30 times in her Culpeper, Virginia apartment. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, who would? Mm. <laughs> no one. You shouldn't like mm. it. Yeah. Mm. No, I would be concerned if you did. <laughs> she could only describe her attacker as a black man acting alone before she passed away. Mm. So that was all the information they got from the victim. He was only acting alone before she passed away? No, before she died, (laughs) she had an opportunity. You're so annoying. (laughs) Almost a year after the crime was committed, um, a man named Earl Washington was, Earl Washington Jr., was arrested in nearby Fauquier County? Fauquier County. Fauquier County. Fucker County County Mm -hmm. for an alleged burglary and malicious wounding. Mm. After two days of questioning, police claimed he had confessed to a total of five different crimes, including the murder of Rebecca Lynn Williams. Of the five confessions, in quotes, the first four were dismissed by the Commonwealth because of the inconsistencies of the testimony and the inability of the victims to identify him. Mm -hmm. Because they're dead. Well, or just, they're not necessarily dead. He confessed to, like, robberies and a lot of petty crimes, burglaries, but they couldn't identify him as Mm -hmm. the assailant. Gotcha. In the fifth confession, however, Washington admitted or confessed that he raped and killed Rebecca Lynn Williams. Questioning revealed that Washington did not know the race of his victim, the address of the apartment where she was killed, or that he had even raped her. Uh... Washington also claimed that Miss Williams had been short when, in fact, she was 5'8", mm-hmm. that he had stabbed her two or three times when the victim showed 38 stab wounds. Holy shit, that's different. And Yep, and that there was no one else in the apartment when it was known that Miss Williams' two young children were with, two of her young children were with her in the apartment on the day of the crime. Oh, my God. So he basically was just, like, saying a common rape mm-hmm. scenario i don't know mm-hmm. she was short because she's a woman and, and a she was alone yeah i only oh, stabbed she her was twi- twice a color yep yeah only on the fourth attempt at a rehearsed confession did authorities accept washington's statement and have it recorded in writing with washington's signature he finally picked out the scene of the crime after being taken there three times in one afternoon by the police, who in the end had to help him pick out William's apartment. That is not a confession. Yep. 
Furthermore, psychological analysis of uh, Washington Jr. reported that to compensate for his disability, he had an IQ of 69. Oh. Oh, which, Which rendered him, like, considered in the eyes of society and medicine and the law, like, mentally disabled. Yeah. Uh, Zach um, and I were out to dinner the other night and we decided to take IQ tests. I don't know why. And, but like short ones where it was like <laughs> the beginning of the end for your marriage. <laughs> yeah. Your marriage just started. Oh, Could you no. not make such gambles this early in the game? Roll those die. Yeah. We didn't take them separately. It wasn't a competition. We took it together. But, um, I have a fucking bone to pick because it's a lot of math. (laughs) And like some of us have other skills and talents and interests. IQ tests. Well, psychological professionals have in many ways debunked the legitimacy of IQ tests for a multitude of reasons. Obviously, that's one of them. They're also like very racially and class mm-hmm. skewed. Yeah, There's a lot of things sure. wrong with IQ tests, so nobody should fucking take that shit. And but they're not smarter you It's bullshit. Like, who's smarter? No, we took it together. I'm never taking one separately. What's your combined because... score then? <laughs> we were like, I need you know, to know. I need to know. We were pretty average. <laughs> oh, God. Um, you dragged him down. I probably did. But one of them you needed to know, like, PEMDAS. But, like, that's not intuitive unless you're taught that. How You don't know that. What? Well, how were you not taught that? But, like, some people... Order of operations. Yeah, but, like... Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Oh, yeah. You don't know that? Of course. No, (laughs) I know that, and I got that one right. Uh But, like, Uh some people aren't taught that. Some people don't know that. That's a math thing. That's, like, a thing that either you are taught or not taught. It's not intuitive. There are lots of smart people who didn't graduate, you know, high school that probably have a way higher IQ than any of the three of us. They might not know what that is. Right. And we're going to we're going to get back on track here because this is a completely unrelated conversation, but there are a lot of different IQ tests. The language is different, what they focus on is different. It's just don't don't take that shit online and assume that it's accurate because yeah. it's fucking not. It's bullshit. There are a lot of like much more reliable and actually non-partial ways to measure someone's IQ for the sake of knowing if they have you know, any kind of like cognitive disability or mm-hmm. whatever number of issues that could be going on. But mm-hmm. do take that quiz if you're in an argument with your husband and you are sure to win. Yeah, at like a <laughs> P.F. Chang's. <laughs> over lettuce Definitely. Wraps. Yeah, over fucking lettuce wraps in the first month of your marriage. Definitely take that quiz. Okay, back to the task at hand. You're here. on your third sentence. Oh, my God. I know. Um, So psychological analysis of Washington reported that to compensate for his disability, they considered him like cognitively disabled because of his IQ. Washington would politely defer to any authority figure with whom he came into contact. Mm -hmm. So this was, you know, he was interviewed and he was like basically researched and analyzed by psychologists. And they determined that people in a position of authority and because of his history he would just kind of comply because it was his defense mechanism 
because he didn't know how to advocate for himself. Yeah, that was right. one of our factors in mm-hmm. our, uh, what was it? The uh, coerced, internalized. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, I mean, Washington is black. He is a man of color. This is the 80s, but it wouldn't matter if this was fucking yesterday. That is still a defense mechanism for oh, yeah. people of color who are accused of crimes that they did not commit. Yep. Yeah. Just putting that out there. It almost has uh, to be because yeah, because you could be lives. fucking killed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thus, when police officers asked Washington leading questions in order to obtain a confession, he complied and offered affirmative responses in order to gain their approval. At trial, only the state's psychologist testified, however, so on the prosecuting side, claiming that Washington was competent when his statement was given. Mm-hmm. A forensic analyst con- conducted a serology testing My on evidence or blood. Mm-hmm. Literal semen. Uh, on evidence from the crime scene and detected a rare plasma protein within that sample. Mm. It was like a cum stain on a blanket, basically. Mm-hmm. Once Washington, who does not <laughs> put possess the rare protein. <laughs> hey, that's just a fact. A Scientifically a speaking. Cum stain. Scientifically speaking, Cumulus it was a crusty cum stain. Stainulus. <laughs> yeah. Cumulus <laughs> Um, oh, Jamba Juice. Jamba Juice. Juice cleanse. Ginger shot. Um, I am starving. Anyway, it, Washington was tested, and he did not, does not, potes, p- possess, oh my God, I'm drunk, the protein that was found in that okay. cum stain. So that should have ruled him out conclusively. Should have been enough. In that crusty, crusty baby batter. But it didn't matter because he was already a suspect, and therefore... <laughs> An amended forensic <laughs> report was prepared without any additional testing being conducted that claimed the test for the protein was inconclusive. <laughs> so they didn't retest or test it, uh, you know, test anything else. They just took the same test results yep. and instead augmented the report saying, well, it's inconclusive. Uh, so cool. we, can, we can still take him to trial. Mm-hmm. So at the penalty phase of the trial, because he's convicted, at the penalty phase of the trial, the defense did not offer any counter argument to the jury concerning a sentence of death. So was the defense the just wanted. like not doing their job? Apparently, nobody gave a fuck in this situation. Mm-hmm. The jurors returned their verdict of a death of the death penalty on January 20th, 20th 1984, and in May of 1984, uh, Washington pled guilty to an unrelated cause of burglary and a malicious wounding. Uh, apparently, he like broke into a neighbor's, an elderly neighbor's place years ago and like hit her with a chair or something. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. Kay. He clearly did not have a clean record and had a history of like robbery, doing some some robbery and some dumb shit. But he didn't have fucking like rape and murder on his record. Stab someone you know? thirty four times, thirty something or times. Yeah, he's not a saint, kind of a but leap. he's not that. Either. No, he's, yeah, no, not at all. Um, so in May of 1984, he pled guilty to that unrelated case and was sentenced to two consecutive 15-year sentences as well as his death sentence. So, like, this, this fucking guy is away for life. Um, in August of 1985, so now it's been just about a year, with his execution date set for September of 1985. Mm, so just, like, maximum one it's month. It's common. Yeah. Yeah. Another death row inmate, Joseph Giarantano, Giarantano, mm-hmm. 
alerted Marie Deans, who is a not who is not a lawyer, but had been assisting capital prisoners voluntarily for years. Mm-hmm. Basically, like an innocence project type lady. Uh, lady, yeah. I don't think she worked directly for the Innocence Project, but similar motivations. Yeah. Um, it probably didn't exist in the '85. I don't think. It, I'm not sure when that when that uh, mm-hmm. organization began, but they Google do great work. Um, and a lawyer who was at the Virginia prison working on other cases uh, was alerted by this inmate Joseph of Washington's story because he had talked about, I guess, with other inmates. Yeah, like this guy. How this had gone down. Yeah, doesn't even have this rare protein, and the sample no. does, and fuck. And all of his confessions were conflicting and clearly coerced. The right. Innocence Project was started in 1992. There we go. Um, so the attorney who was working in the prison brought Washington's case to her law firm, and the firm secured a stay of execution for Washington nine days before he was scheduled to die. So right <sighs> under the wire. Mm-hmm. And it fu- that shit fucking happens even closer to the moment. People get them like well, yeah. at midnight like before Kenyon's their 3 a.m. execution. Yeah, yes. has eaten ha- his last meal. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking crazy. So in October, so okay, so he had gotten a stay of execution, and then they had actually, as a result of her work, the lawyer's work, they had changed his sentence to a life sentence and taken the death penalty off the table, but he was still considered guilty of this crime. Okay. And was still sitting in prison. So he's off of death row, but he's still in jail. Like, logically, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, oh, I know. Like, I think that they did it... A lot of times with the stay of execution, it's like, okay, we're going to take you off of death row and adjust your sentence, and then you just have to keep trying to appeal and like yeah. wait for an- another trial or another opportunity to go to court, which can right. take for fucking ever. Because they've some- still granted you your life. You just yeah. don't have your freedom yet. Yeah, right. but somebody not on death row has fewer chances of appeal. Yeah. Well, exactly. And then this yeah. just continues to fucking take forever. So this was in 1985. It's now October of 1993. Mm. He's still been sitting in jail. And the DNA DNA test revealed that Washington was excluded as a contributor of the cum stain. So, so they were able to recheck the DNA. It wasn't his. Could not have been his. Nope. And there yeah. was no other corroborating evidence to suggest he was even in her apartment. That was uh, the, the only... Yeah. And then there was just the his confession. DNA. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a shitty confession... Mm-hmm. And that cum stain that's not even fucking his. Mm-hmm. Because Washington was time barred by Virginia law, which allows a defendant only 21 days to introduce new evidence. The fuck? And that this trial has happened now years ago. He was not exonerated. Instead, the governor, the governor at the time, Governor Wilder, commuted Washington's sentence to life imprisonment. The so fuck? even though this new DNA evidence is in existence, this trial is now, or the sentencing, or... Uh, uh, accusation and 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 I'm so fucking. Drunk. We get it. Um, Drop it. It's fine. Yeah. We get it. Next paragraph. It happened so long ago <laughs> they can't fucking bring in new evidence. So Washington remains in prison for six more years before his counsel persuaded the newly elected governor Gilmore mm, to seek Rory. additional DNA testing. Rory Gilmore. So now it's October of 2000, and he gets this new trial. Or, like, gets to have this new evidence put in, and as a result, proving that he couldn't have fucking been there, Governor Gilmore grants 
this man, Wash, you know, Earl Washington Jr., a pardon for the capital murder conviction. However, the pardon was on limited grounds that a jury would not have convicted him based on the evidence as it was then known. What does that even mean? I, I think it means that... I'm trying to think of what this fucking means. On, it, on limited grounds that a jury would not have convicted him based on the evidence as it was then known. So it has to be based off of what existed in trial, basically. So this DNA evidence doesn't mean jack shit? Well, it means that ba- it sounds to me like it means that based on the evidence and what existed in the trial at the time, that like the conviction had this had all of that same exact evidence been brought to light today, the same stuff that was in trial then, he wouldn't have been convicted. So what the governor is basically saying is, I don't know that you're innocent, but you would but you, you should not have been trial. convicted. Yeah, right. I think that's essentially what that means. Um. He either way, he was released from prison to parole supervision in February of 2001. So he'd been in prison since 80, like 85, 84. And he gets to miss yet another Christmas mm -hmm. just waiting for like the wheels to turn because from October Mm -hmm. to February, just slowness, bureaucratic bullshit. Mm. Fucked up. Commenting on life outside of prison soon after his release, Earl Washington said, this was a whole lot better than I expected. I know. So in 2007... Just wait till you try wink.com forward slash gals. Oh my God, you're a monster. Me undies. Oh Lord. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Let's send him some. Um, In 2007, six years after Washington walked out of prison, then Governor Kane issued an absolute pardon which acknowledged that Washington was wrongfully convicted of murder and rape. Mm -hmm. And earlier that same year, in 2007, um, a man named Kenneth Tinsley, who was serving life in prison for a 1984 rape that was not the same as this one, Mm. pleaded guilty to Rebecca Lynn Williams' rape and murder. Uh, Yep. My God. Kenneth Kenneth M. Tinsley, 61, was charged with capital murder, rape, and sodomy in the slaying of Rebecca Lynn Williams. And he was first implicated as a suspect in 2000 in relation to this case. Mm. When scientific tests showed that his DNA DNA was on the fucking blanket in Rebecca's apartment. But the investigation... Continued for years, focusing on Washington because of focusing on Washington because of that whole law in Virginia about the like twenty-one day rule. Oh my God! So it took seven years after they already proved that this rapist, convicted rapist, was there. It took another. It took another year. In two thousand seven, Washington had been out of prison for six years. Oh, but the fact that it took any fucking time at all earlier that year in two thousand seven, Kenneth Tinsley. No, earlier, he was charged in 2007, but I guess he was implicated in 2000, and that helped. But yeah, okay, you're right. I was getting confused with how long Washington was in prison. You're right. It still took that long for him to yeah. be officially charged with it. Yeah, it's fucked up. Oh, my God. And I also think that in situations like that where the, the person who is charged is already serving time, Especially if it's already a life sentence. Yeah, they don't really I have think a fire that the under system their that's already slow is even slower. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Of the 17 years that uh, Earl Washington Jr. spent in prison, nine and a half of them were on death row, which is fucking horrifying. Jeez. And since his exoneration, the United States Supreme Court ruled in Atkins versus Virginia in 2002 that the death penalty for persons with intellectual disabilities was unconstitutional, which I can agree with. I think it's, I don't think, I don't agree with the death penalty anyway, but. Mm-hmm. Especially when there are cognitive impairments that can keep someone from like a proper judicial process, mm-hmm. or from engaging in that process in a way where they truly understand everything. Or from death coercing a false confession out of them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, it ordered states to review the cases of persons on death row who had been convicted and shown to have such cognitive disabilities, and to commute their sentences to appropriate lower levels of punishment, which I think is good. It also allowed inmates who claim innocence to seek DNA testing at any time and not within that shitty fucking 21-day limit. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's like, literally, this technology didn't exist within three weeks of my first trial, so fuck you. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't possible. Um, uh, Which loosened one of the toughest rules in the nation surrounding new evidence. So, I mean, at least there was some, like, positive change from this really fucked up situation. Um, And in 2006, Earl Washington Jr. was awarded $2.25 million from the estate of one Agent Wilmore, who had coerced the false confession from the defendant. So he was sued and he won. Wow. Um, And in 2007, he received his settlement for a wrongful conviction from the state. So he both got in like a civil suit against that specific officer and then also money from the state for their hand in a wrongful conviction. So he's like married now and living comfortably out of prison. But still 17 years in prison. But lost 17 years of his life. And like he was put in prison when he was, what, 19? Mm-hmm. No, she was, 19 she was 19 when she died, but I think he, I don't think he was much older. He couldn't have been, I think he was in his 20s. Yeah. So, I mean, he lost, a, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Either way, he lost a giant chunk of his life. But right. It's just, the shit is fucking important. And a lot of this information came from uh, reports on the Innocence Project website about this man. Uh, and that's a really interesting website and there are so many cases on there like mm-hmm. this shit is so common yeah so fucking common yeah. if you want to be sad for a while go look at the innocence project website yeah i mean it is sad but i also think it's important because this is not stuff that ends up in the media really. oh yeah it's not sad in the sense that you should turn away from it and avoid thinking about it but it's just sad that right. this is the state that we're in right now Right, and then you listen to podcasts like Serial and Undisclosed, and you you know you can have your varying opinions on Adnan's hand and what happened, mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is he did not get the trial that you know you deserve to get in this system, and it's fucked up. Yep. Yeah, you have to start calling that shit out yeah. because it sucks what people are capable of, but they're still they are still have the right to due process, and if we're failing that system. Yeah. Then more more innocent people are gonna suffer so, than actual criminals suffering. So or many walking free appeals are like constrained by the limits that were set forth in the original trial. When like the whole yeah. point of the appeal should be like a new trial, and like yeah, I know getting fresh that, eyes and getting a new yeah. take on the situation. And like I know that that's expensive and takes more time, but like so does having ten appeals instead of just mm-hmm. like one proper appeal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So much money. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fucked up for a multitude of reasons. So yeah, check out the Innocence Project. Do a little digging. Mm -hmm. Maybe have some wine while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. Definitely mm -hmm. have some wine while you're doing it. Get yourself some knowledge about the fucked up shit that's going on in our world. <laughs> All right. Special thanks to our Patreon picker, Sarah Muscovitz. It must go in love. But it's over now. Just like the episode. Okay. The episode is over and I now. Burped. <laughs> You're welcome. This was a good topic, though. Yeah. Good on you, Sarah. Um, and then also kicking off our donators at $5 a month, we have Meow Meow Kitty Kitty Fluff Fluff. Oh, oh my God. Perfect you for Lucy. I just want to scoop you up and kiss your little nose. Kitty. Kitty Kitty Fluff Fluff. Amazing. I have so many <laughs> questions and I love it. Um, okay. Per your request, Nick Valina, it's Gina. <laughs> It's Valina. Valina, but it's Valina. <laughs> it's Lina. My uterine Lina. No. <laughs> Giving $5 a month left this message. Hi. I just finally got off my dick and did the Patreon thing. <laughs> Mander, read my name, my fellow Gilmore girl. Um, it's pronounced Valina, by the way. No, it's not. Lina. I'm sorry it took me so long to be a good friend to you three. Well, Nick, Valina, you are special. That was a great message. I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm glad you got off your dick and finally did the Patreon thing. Amazing. <laughs> oh, it's my turn. Uh, it is. Big shout out to Jen Sutherland. Donald Any relation? Sutherland. Is also Kiefer Sutherland? Kiefer Sutherland. Who's Donald Sutherland? Why did that name <sighs> come to mind? Kenyon really loves the older Sutherlands. <laughs> she really does. She's it's a got, Shout out. She's got it bad Nick for Nolte. daddy. <laughs> to the next Sutherland generation. Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Love it. Okay, moving on from that. <laughs> Next up, we've got Leah Shilky. Shilk? You are drink your milk. Shilky drink your smooth. Shilk. I want to drink a cold, frosty milk Shilky right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> silky Shilky. A silky milk Shilky. Yeah, thank you. You $10 donors are going to get uh, fucking patriarchy wine class in yeah. your mail at some point. Sure are. And these sweet, sweet trash queens, uh, Ashley Scahill, mm -hmm. thank you for giving $15 a month. You're going to get something dumb <laughs> some, in the mail. Some something dumb. It's going to be dumb. For You're sure. going to get something, and it's going to be dumb. <laughs> As will Abriel Ulbrich. That is a really cool, pretty name with interesting Beautiful names. Mm-hmm. And you I'm assuming you live under the sea. Yes. Or in like Transylvania. Oh, break the <laughs> sea. Uh, yeah, you're, you're a trash or. queen. You'll be getting some random shit from Lucy's house. I'm kind of amazed that Lucy still has random shit to send out, to be to be honest. She's got a lot of crap yeah. in her house. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some things I just have to like rip in half mm. to stretch them farther, but mm -hmm. I'll do what I got to do. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And coloring sheets are helpful. Yeah. I'm coloring at this very moment. I love it. But I won't send you any thingamabobs because you've already got 20. 
but who cares? No big deal. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace. <laughs> For $45 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com forward slash gal street your brain. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kali Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have wine recommendations or creepy true crime stories to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your podcasts. More importantly, if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really is the best way to spread the word. We are a totally independent show, so if you'd like to support us and get a shout-out on air, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers! Hey, Muller Junkies! Are you having a tough time navigating the twists and turns of the Trump-Russia investigation? So to be clear, you want easily digestible and succinct reporting on the Mueller investigation? That's what he said. That's what I said. That's obviously what our position is. It's time you check out Mueller She Wrote. Mueller She Wrote is a weekly podcast where three female comics take a deep dive into the most consequential investigation in modern political history. I'm your host, A.G., and I have to remain anonymous because I work for Trump's executive branch. Join me, along with Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn, as we report the facts, break exclusive news, and bring it all to you with just the right amount of snark. Then we top it off with our Fantasy Indictment League, exclusive interviews from guests including Asha Rangappa, Chris Cluey, Rabia Oshadri, and Scott Stedman, followed by Conjecture, all while we speculate on who is... So tune in for consistent updates and reliable coverage on Manafort, Cohen, the Trump family, Russia, and everything Mueller, and make Mondays great again. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MullerSheWrote. And check out our website at MullerSheWrote.com. You'll be glad you did. <laughs>